Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. All right, good morning. How are you? Awesome. Before we get into the message today, a little bit of housekeeping. I want to make a clear statement so that we're all on the same page. Now, um, we have been living with this virus for quite some time. And many of us have been educated as to what's going on, trying to stay up to date. And so, with all of that said, I want you to know that from this day forward, we're never going to close the doors of our church. Okay? Why? Because Jesus calls us to be open and ready for people in season, out of season, in good times and bad times. And we have a mission to this world that is more important than anything else. Number two, we want you to be safe as possible. We want you to feel comfortable coming to church. And so we put in precautions and we ask that you consider other people better than yourselves. That's a biblical uh, mandate from God, okay? So that's, we have that, to consider other people better. But also when it comes to the wearing of masks and vaccines, um, I, don't, I want to be a person that says stop dividing with each other. We can't, we can't divide over this anymore. And so because of that, We'll accept you here if you're vaccinated. If you're not vaccinated, you're welcome here. If you uh, want to wear a mask, that's fine. If you feel that it's not safe for you to come, we have online <clears throat> viewing so that you can participate. But that is up to you. Your health care is up to you, and you have to make those choices yourself, okay? Be considerate when you come to church, uh, more considerate of others than yourself, but you know, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to start and pretend to be one. I'm a pastor, and we're here to <clears throat> lead people to Christ, encourage those who are hurting, and to preach the gospel. So that's what we're going to do. All right. That said, this morning, we're in our binge-worthy series. And we've, we've called it this because there are a lot of passages of Scripture that are lost, that people don't want to go read because it's too hard. And I, and I want to encourage you to come on in into the Word of God and to be challenged by it, to realize that there are a lot of great stories in there that are worthy of binging on the Word of God. I mean, I don't know about you, but <clears throat> after the first six months of the pandemic, there was nothing good to watch on anything on television. Like, there's just nothing. I found a fly fishing show the other day I'm really excited about. I'm going to really engage that when I get back home. But other than that, I don't really find that there's anything that's really edifying and wonderful. But it's a time for us to turn back to the Word of God and to hear what God has to say and read and understand what where we come from and our culture, the collective culture of the people of God. All right, we're in our heroes and heroines section. Last week we talked about Samson, and uh, he was the first hippie, by the way. He never cut his hair, so, and he wore sandals, but he was violent. Okay. Uh, this week we're going to talk about Deborah in Judges chapter 4. But 
the time of the judges was a time where a culture was in decline, in a very steep decline. They had been brought out of Egypt. They had been isolated out in the Sinai Desert. And once they were brought into the Promised Land, they were told, look, you got to get rid of these people around who are in this land. I've given them hundreds of years to repent, but their evil is all get out and they're violent and wicked. And they're going to taint you if you don't get them out of here. Well, they didn't do it. And so they started suffering from it. And so here he offers to them judges, people who are more like local chieftains, who are warlords, who are leaders of the people. Okay, there wasn't a king in the land. And so as we mentioned last week in Judges, it said that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And whenever that takes place, you know that trouble is afoot. Now, with all that said, the Judges... This period of history in Israel teaches us something, that he says, look, I don't want you to be like the Canaanite people. The Canaanite people uh, had crazy sexual practices. They also uh, were brutal and cruel and murderous. They also would throw their children to the fire of Molech and offer them in sacrifice And God, all of these things, as far as God was concerned, is absolutely detestable. In fact, they created their own gods, and they had nothing to do with the true and living God. Now, if you expect God to just go along with that and say, well, you know, whatever you want to do, that's fine with me. That's not God, okay? That's not Him. That's not love. And that's human beings left to their own accord to do their own thing. And history is replete with these examples. Well, here's the thing. This group of people, the Israelites, were no different. They're human beings. They got problems. They're just like you and me. They're prone to sin. They're prone to do stupid things. But he says, listen, I want to use you to preach to the whole world and tell people about me. Okay? And so I'm going to separate a group of people for myself. Now, as you go in among these people, be sure to do all that I tell you to do and live by what I say. Because if you go by what the other people do and you start living like them, I will make you their slaves. You get it? So if you want that, you'll serve them. If you want me, you'll serve me. But if you want what they're doing, you can be their slaves. And that's the story. That's the story. They would blow it. They would start doing all the stuff that everybody's doing. It's so popular. It's so much fun. Well, okay, great. Now you're this group of people's slaves and you're being mistreated. Now, Deborah comes along and God says, I'm going to redeem my people once again and we're going to fight against the Canaanites. And you say, well, what about all of this violence in the Old Testament? It just seems so icky. Well, that's because you live in a very prosperous culture. You get that? The fact that you can complain that they didn't get your order right at, you know, Burger King is the fact that you are prosperous. There were no Burger Kings. There's no McDonald's. There's no, you know, pull into the dealership and get my chariot fixed, you know. No. None of that. That's prosperity. If you're living in peace and you don't have a group of people attacking you every other day, you are living in a prosperous world. 
They were living in a different world. And so for us to judge them as if, oh, they're so wicked, I don't know why God would tell them to wipe out other people. Well, a lot of people are really bad. Let me bring an example for you. We've spent uh, this country the last 20 years in Afghanistan. And for some reason, we believed that we could take our Western philosophy and this idea of being benevolent and helping people along. For 20 years and trillions of dollars, we thought, boy, people would just get it, right? Well, the people who were blessed were those who were weak, those who were women, and those who were oppressed. But one of the statements I'd heard from them before was that, you people have watches, but we have time. The Taliban, okay? And I don't mind if I hurt your feelings. I talk about the Taliban this morning. If there are any Taliban here, you need to repent. <laughs> tell you that. Uh, but right, right now, actually, okay? Now, <clears throat> here's the thing. Immediately... When we withdraw, what happens? Chaos. People are lining up to abuse children, women, and men. It's like the first line of order, okay? And so when you think about God dealing with a group of people like the Canaanites, you say, well, why did he want them to wipe them out? Well, they are absolutely treacherous. I'm not saying that God should wipe this group of people out. What I'm saying is there's a correlation there that we can see what was going on in ancient Israel. That God wanted his people to flourish and he's saying, these people around you, guys, they're never going to let up. And so they had to fight. And they lived in a culture where they had to fight and they had tribe against tribe. And that's something that we have been free of for a number of years because of prosperity in this country. But it's still, just like the Old Testament, is taking place in this world. All right? All right. Deborah. Deborah was a prophetess. And Deborah became a judge before the people of God. Her name is Deborah and her name means honeybee. You like that? In fact, I, I remember reading, um, reading this a month ago. Uh, in Roman culture, in Greek culture, the, they were proclaiming about which wives were the best, and they were correlating them to various farm animals. I know, ladies. They were bad. That's not me. I was just reading about it. But the highest <laughs> for this one poet was, he said, the, the man who's blessed the most is married to a honeybee because she's so industrious and she works so hard and she produces so much and there's this respect that's there and so forth. She was a honeybee and she truly was to this nation. She was a powerhouse for God. Look at verse 1 of Judges chapter 4. Again, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord, eyes of the Lord. You get it? Here's the thing again. <clears throat> now that Elud was dead, Ehud was dead. So the Lord told them, uh, sold them into the hands of Jabin, the king of Canaan, who reigned at Hazor 
Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Heroseth Hagoim. Okay, now, it's two names, Jabin and Sisera. One is the king, one is the leader, one is the chieftain, and then the other is the commander of the armies. Sisera, look at verse 3, because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. She held court under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have her disputes decided. You would go up and say, hey, you know, this guy owes me 40 bucks over here. He says he's not going to pay. I think he owes me two goats. And then she would make the decision, okay? She was very wise. She was a leader, a judge in the community. He sent, she sent for uh, Barak or if you want to say so, Barak. Okay. Son of Abinoam from Kadesh, Nephtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali. And she's going to be speaking about various tribes, the 12 tribes. Naphtali, Zebulun, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, this is God speaking, the commander of Jabin's army with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I will not go. So within a very male-centric culture, the guys were kind of in charge of everything. The moral decline had been so much so that you couldn't really travel very well. People were taking the bypass. You can read through uh, Judges 4 and 5. But also, a lot of guys weren't willing to lead. There were, weren't a lot of heroes at that particular time. And so God said, okay, I will find my own heroine, and her name is Deborah. And so Barak says, I'm going to go, but only if you go with me. And that's a good choice. But this is what she says, certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. The honeybee has spoken. For the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. There Barak summoned Zebulun, Naphtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went up with them. So this is what happened. <clears throat> he says, look, God says, I want you to go up, get your men you have Sisera, you have Jabin. These guys are terrible. They've got chariots of iron, and they're just, it's not like chariots of fire where doom, 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 doom. These were like chariots of iron, and they just ran over people, speared them, and it was just, you, there was no match if you're on the ground. So he says, go up to Mount Tabor and go to this river, okay? And in that river valley over there by Megiddo, it doesn't say it here, but in Megiddo, Megiddo um, I want you to go there. Put your men up on the hill, up on the mountain, and I'm going to bring Sisera and his troops in here. And so what happens is he brings them in. Now, this riverbed, 
had been there, and it's mostly dry, mostly all of the time. And we'll read later in the song of Deborah in chapter 5, around verse 20, 22, that God brought great thunderclouds and God brought great torrential rain. And so what would happen in that process is that all of that riverbed became mud. And so every chariot and everyone who was coming through to fight the Israelites got stuck. And all their great powerful chariots and horses were worthless. And they chased after them. And they threw down. And they got them. And they beat them. But the leader, Sisera, got away, okay? He got away and ran up to a nearby village of the Kenites and ran into this lady's tent. Now, what was interesting about this is that the Kenites were friends of the King Jabin. They were also kind of related, if you go back further in history, they were related to some of Moses, I mean, Noah's kinfolk, okay? But so they were kind of neutral there. But at the time, they had allegiance with King Jabin. So he runs in, and, and one of the ladies there, J.L., who I will call Peggy, and you'll know why in just a minute, she, she, she said, hey, come on over here. Come hide in my tent. And it, typically, a guy wouldn't go into a woman's tent, but you're being pursued by Barak and his army. Uh, you need to go hide. So she went into hi- he went in to hide. And he said, look, I'm really thirsty. Can you give me something to drink? She says, oh, don't worry about it. I'm going to give you a little blanket cover up here, rest. I'm going to bring you some, you know, curded milk curds and some milk, probably some type of yogurt. It was, it was supposed to be nice. And uh, she brings it to him. He, he drinks it. And you just rest. He said, look, if anybody comes to the door and asks for me, or if there's anybody in the tent, just say nobody's here. And she goes, no problem. I got it. You just lay your head down, your pretty little head, and you rest. And when he fell asleep, well, she had another idea about his pretty little head. She, by the way, women in that day were really great tent builders, okay? They're the ones who set up the tents. And this peg was probably not of iron. The peg was probably of, uh, of wood. N- not to think that Cicero was a Dracula or anything like that, or a vampire. <laughs> she goes over to him. Are you sleeping? Okay, good. This will really help you get further into sleep. And so she drives a pin- tent peg into his head and smashes it. And she's like, "Woohoo! I did it. Now, that was in fulfillment of a prophecy that God gave to the prophet uh, Deborah when he said, God will deliver that army into a woman's hand. Yes, he did. So it was two gals that got it done. Come on, gals, let's hear it. All right? You've been, she'd been waiting a long time to do that to somebody. <laughs> and finally, oh, the right one came along. <laughs> There's still hope, ladies. You never, you never know. So, they won the battle. God was vindicated. His people were vindicated. These people who had been ruling over them and just doing terrible things throughout the land, a land that God said, I want to set aside for my people to be a light to the Gentiles, to the world, to show them, I don't want you to live like this. 
I have a different plan for you. They were supposed to be that light into the world, a world that was used to doing whatever they wanted in their own eyes. So, Deborah, the queen bee, writes a song. And in chapter 5, we have the song of the honeybee. It's very telling. Verse 1. On, the so- on that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang this song. When the princes of Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. Hear this, you kings. Listen, you rulers. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will praise the Lord, the God of Israel, in song. You see, he says, she says, look, we've been oppressed all of this time. We've been living under this garbage all of this time. And praise God, we've been afraid of them. You ever been afraid of other people? What are they going to do to you? You might get canceled. What are they going to do to you? What power do people have over you? And there's something exhilarating when God comes in and he says, No, I want you to be brave. I've got a plan. Let's get rid of this. Let's take care of it. I'm not talking about... What I'm saying is personally in your own life, when you overcome a victory, you overcome something that you're afraid of, and victory is at hand, there is rejoicing at hand, isn't there? It's not, I couldn't do this before. And she said, we didn't think that we could do it, but the leaders showed up. The people gave themselves to it. They weren't apathetic. They weren't leaning back, but they said, no, we're going to fight, and we're going to go for it. And I'm going to tell you something right now. I'm not saying that you should spend all of your time fighting for politics. Good luck. What I will say to you is that if God has given you something, God gave them this land, okay? And he said, I want you to fight for it, and I want you to be brave because I'm going to be there with you. God has given us, in this country, liberty, okay? God has given believers in this land liberty. And I just want to let you know, it's okay to fight for your freedom of religion, okay? It's okay to stand up for that. It's okay to fight for it. And you know what's really good for us is we fight for other people's freedoms as well. We fight for other people's freedoms and their liberty and their right to have a religion. Why? Because that type of freedom allows expression and goodness. You understand that? So don't be afraid, my friends. Don't let people make you afraid at all. Stand up for what's good. Stand up for what's right and watch God do something great. Because if you don't stand up, you'll never know. Well, if I stand up, I'm an easier target. I know. I know. I know. But if you never stand up, you'll never know, will you? There's some things worse than death. All right. That said, she goes on and talks about all of the mighty things that God had did. And they rejoiced because they were free. They rejoiced because they were able to withstand. They saw God's hand in the middle of it. And they rejoiced. Hard times, we tend to think, are something horrible for us. But oftentimes, it is the hard times that lead us to get out of our own selves and to do something different. And when we do that, 
and God shows up, I'm telling you, my friends, our faith takes a leap, a leap that it should be, because God wants his people to trust in him. God wants his people to continually trust in him. And a part of that is overcoming our own fear and trusting in God. And that's how you grow, isn't it? That is exactly how you grow. All right. He goes on to say in verse 9, My heart is with Israel's princes, with willing volunteers among the people. Praise the Lord. You who ride on white donkeys, sitting on your saddle blankets, and you who walk along the road, consider the coming of the Lord. You see, they were living what God had told them to do. Now, they're going to blow it again. And they're going to go back under oppression, and God will raise up another judge and another judge until finally he raises up their first king, okay? It's a lot like us. We live in a very Christianized, well, it's, it's not so much Christianized anymore, but a country that lives a lot by Christian values, even though we may not call upon God's name or recognize Jesus. And so there are certain things that we see as taboo, things that are wrong, these things are right, Uh, these things are proper for us to do, these things are not. And so we judge ourselves and we judge each other based upon these things. But the truth about it is, is we are no different than these people in this book. Given half the chance, we'll be out there acting like everybody else. Right now we have social media influencers. What did you do to become an influencer? Well, I took like 100,000 pictures of myself. (laughs) Sign me up. You're my leader. What are your qualifications? Well, I have 155,000 followers. Really. You notice how easy it is to judge the generations that come or, or that are before us. We can look back 40 years. We can look back 100 years. We can look back 200 years and go, what were those people thinking? Why did they treat people that way? That's ridiculous. That's godless. That's horrible. Christians acting that way. Folks, guess what? You're weirdos too. I'm a weirdo. And 40 years from now, 100 years from now, 200 years from now, they go, those people were insane. What were they doing? They were narcissists. All they did was take pictures of themselves all day long. How sick. How does that even closely relate to Jesus Christ and his call to deny yourself? You know, we're going to be judged terrible. Just think about that before you get on your high horse. Get on a little donkey, not a high horse, okay? (laughs) Kind of humbly ride around, you know, because it's easy for us to see their problems. And it's easy for us to see a generation before us problems. And it's going to be easy for our kids and our grandkids to see our problems. You get that? That's why it requires us to be humble. Well, I have to sing the song 
because it's such a wonderful song, and I, I just, I, I don't want to mess it up, but I want to sing to you the chorus of, of Tent Peggy J.L. Most blessed of the women uh, B.J.L., the wife of Heber the Canaanite, most blessed of tent-dwelling women. He asked for water. She gave him milk, a bowl fit for nobles. She brought him curdled milk. Her hand reached for the peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head and shattered and pierced his temple. Okay, and the chorus goes, At her feet he sank, he fell, there he lay. At her feet he sank, he fell, there he lay, and there he fell dead. Okay, everybody with me right there. (laughs) Imagine that being a worship song in church. We kill the people that persecuted us. Hallelujah. That was, that was like the worship song. That was a hymn. But if you lived back then, you would get it. It's like those horrible people that have been oppressing us. I mean, we can't skip JL. I mean, that's the peak. She crushed his head with a tin peg. Now, it may not seem like a lot of good to you today. In fact, you'll probably won't find it in any worship songs. But we may be singing about a lot of weird things too. But here's what we need to know about God. God knows human beings. God created humans. God knows their problems, our problems. And God knows the certain political, socio-economical world that you live in. And he knows the weirdnesses that you are prone to. And he is willing to work with you. This was a war-like, this was a warring culture. All of them were. And so he spoke with his judges and force an army because that's what they understood and he spoke their language. God speaks and, and speaks to us in our weirdnesses and our weaknesses right now in our own narcissistic culture. I mean, guys, I don't know how many, how many times do you have to have someone tell you, God's just thinking about you all day. If you were the only person that was a sinner on earth, Jesus would come and die for you. I hope not. Really? That's it? You have to think that way about God? But that's the weirdness of our culture. And God still loves each one of us. God still bears with each one of us. God will speak to us in the weirdness of our cultural setting. Because that's who he is. And I want to get to this point before we take communion together. I've been meditating on this a lot, and it's been on my heart, and I want to share with with you. How do we know God in chaos? How can we know him? in the midst of everything that's going on. With every temptation leading us to think about ourselves and to promote ourselves and 
How do we know him in this? Well, we know him by his word, and, when, and I sing songs, and we worship him, and I can tell that I love him. But <clears throat> there, there's this deep pathway to God. And the more I spend time in Scripture, the more I consider him, the more I'm quiet before the Lord. I keep, he keeps bringing me back to this issue of love. John, known as the beloved disciple, he says, Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. We're told in this passage that he gave his only son and that's how we know his love. God gave himself up for us. When you hear that, you think, okay, God is love. Not in some abstract form, but as to who he really is. And he says, people who really love, really know him, love like him. And only those who love like him know him. Well, how do I get there? This is not an indictment against human beings. It is an invitation to know God. Here's what I mean. God says, as to my essence, I am love. That, that is who I am. But you won't know what that's like until you start doing what I do. Then you'll understand when you start loving the unlovable, when you start loving the obstinate, the jerks, the idiots, the blasphemers, because God says, that's what I do all day long. And if you really want to know me, you got to start doing what I do. Because when you do what I do, you're going to understand me. You get that? That's not here, that's here. And that's in the way that you think in your heart. We're told in Scripture, what, what good is it if you love people who love you? What reward do you have in that? I love you, I love you too. It's so hard loving me. Whatever, come on. It is hard sometimes though. To love your spouse when they're being a jerk. It's hard on my wife loving me. But I'm willing to help her know God more. (laughs) It's part of my job. Honey, I'm just helping you out. I'm not grumpy. You're just getting to know God better. Kids, when your parents... Or being obstinate, that's your opportunity to, to sit with God and learn how to love Him. Parents, when your kids are making mistakes and blowing it, and that's, 
That's your opportunity to be like God and love him and, and learn how God loves other people and get to know him. That's how you get to know him. My friends, there's no other way around it. God loved those obstinate Israelites. And he says, if you want, if you want to know me, you've got to step in and do what I do. I've been loving people for a long time. Obstinate, crazy, rebellious, jerks, horrible, foul, profane. Welcome to my world. And when that sinks in, that began to just melt into my brain. I said, oh, God. I've been asking for years that I want to know you and know you more. And until I, this passage <clears throat> truly spoke out to me, the Holy Spirit, I, I didn't see it. You want to know God? Start loving like Him. You'll be changed. You'll be changed and transformed. He says in verse 20, 21 of that same chapter, whoever claims to love God but hates his brother or sister is a liar. God says, okay, you may think that you love me, but you don't even know me. This is all I do. This is who I am. If you think you know me and you're hating somebody else, you're, not, you're, not, you're missing the picture. You're missing it. For whoever does not love their brother or sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. He says, I'm giving you a visual chance, a real tangible chance to get to know me. Every jerk you meet is an opportunity to know me. Every time you don't get your way is an opportunity to know me. Every time someone breaks your heart and you love them and pray for them. I'm even trying to do it on the road. You know how hard that is for me? There are so many idiots on the road in Albuquerque. It's even on the way to church today. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this passage, and I was thinking, you know, well, it's Sunday morning. I can't really practice it because there's only like 15 people on the road. Then the idiot came, showed up, swinging through traffic. Just, it's Sunday morning traffic. There's no need. Just get over in the, you know, the turning lane. That's where everybody goes 90 miles an hour in Albuquerque. And I thought, okay, Lord, thank you. So I prayed for the person. And I, I, I may run into him again later, <laughs> and it may not be so good. But even the most little, ins seemingly insignificant thing can draw you into the presence of God. He's given us a command. It says, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and their sister. That's how we do it. You want to know God? Start loving. You want to know Him? Receive His love for you. Stop beating yourself up and saying how stupid you are and ridiculous you are. God knows. He loves you anyway. You're not going to get any better by beating yourself up. 
You're not going to get any better by beating up the people around you. You're not going to get any smarter. You're not going to be more lovely. You're not going to be more holy. You're not going to be more anything. But when we learn to walk humbly before the living God, well, we're getting to know Him. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time... May the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.